0: Greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. Sponsors, as always, uh, by Running Aces, Racetrack, Casino, and Hotel, as well as Website Amp. Uh, and in this chat's edition of the podcast, we're going to talk to the man, the myth, the legend. We got John Barrows, you guys. Uh, he's the tournament director, right. tournament manager. He's the, the whoseness of the muchness of Running Aces, uh, our <laughs> official sponsor who's been with us from the beginning. But we are going to pick John's brain a little bit and talk about the business of poker. Uh, I know a lot, not a lot of recreational players kind of think about that, that poker is actually a business inside of the, ca- the casino business. And so we want to unpack that a little bit uh, and pick his brain. But let's first introduce the panel to you. Uh, my name is Steve Fredland. I go by Rec Poker Steve in the Poker Stars home game. And my quote is from John Lydgate. He said that you can please some of the people all the time, and you can please all of the people some of the time, but you can't please all the people all the time. And I think John will attest to that. <laughs>
1: and I I'm Chris Jones I'm five by five on poker stars home game and Twitter and uh I got my first taste of live poker back this weekend at running aces and it was just I was it was like the happiest I've ever been playing poker it was just awesome <laughs> so it was it was great
2: uh, I'm Jim Reed bluff serene in the home game and you can find out about me and all the other members of the wrecking crew by going to poker slash crew and I just want to say hi mom hope you're listening <laughs>
3: I'm John Somsky. I'm Poker Geek Man everywhere, and my quote today is from Sammy Farha: "Just play every hand. You can't miss them all."
2: crazy <laughs> <So, laughs> Daisy. That's
0: Razy-daisy. how he
3: wants all of his opponents to play. I am sure.
0: Yeah, Frogman Rick in the home games, boy. He he likes that quote a lot. Well, we're gonna, <laughs> we're, gonna we're gonna we're gonna chat with John, uh, and then after that, we'll dig into the community happenings. We're gonna be talking a little bit about more of our reflections uh, from the rec poker reunion at running aces as well as the home game winners and a bunch of other stuff uh, but let's bring them in john barrows uh, john i don't know if you're officially the tournament director tournament manager but uh, running aces uh, our go-to guy uh, our best friend when it comes to the podcast uh, how are you doing young man
4: i'm well thank you and thank you for having me on and thank you for the kind words
0: Absolutely. I would well, I, I just read the script that you sent me, so hopefully I did that. I did that well. So so what is what is your official title at running
4: ACES? Uh I am officially still the casino tournament manager. Uh, what that encompasses is I I manage all of the tournament operations for the casino. That includes poker, actually, and it includes blackjack tournaments, which obviously I know your folks really aren't focused on, but that it is something I also when we were running poker, uh, blackjack tournaments, I oversaw that operation as well. Uh, a lot of behind-the-scenes things, um, you know, business and planning-wise that I do. Uh, in addition, I run poker tournaments as well, which, you know, I know uh, both you, yourself and, and John have uh, experienced many times where I've ran uh, tournaments that you were involved in. So uh, kind of double uh, wear those hats most of the time since the pandemic uh, running aces hasn't run uh, tournaments up until this last weekend for the, you know, w- at which you've mentioned the rec poker reunion tournaments um, something we're obviously looking and we're working, I'm working hard at to get going again. Uh, so in the, mi- in the interim, what I have been doing is working in the poker room as one of the poker room managers. Um, and, and in that included in that was a lot of getting, the poker room up and running again, not only from a small, we had, we started at five tables. Uh, when we reopened again in January, we moved to 10 tables. Um, again, a lot of behind the scenes things, uh, plus the very substantial challenge of getting the room staffed back up. And when we talk business, the business of poker, that is a, one of our big concerns and not, it's not just our concern, but it's a concern of a lot of, uh, Casinos around. I know our biggest competitor has the same concern, um, and you know, getting staffing is a right now is a huge, huge, huge challenge for us.
0: Yeah, I, so I do, I do small business consulting, and I, I know yeah. I know restaurants that are offering you know five to ten thousand dollar sign on bonuses for a short order cook. Uh, over right. the road truckers are offering these huge bonuses. It's really, really difficult. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, how are you sort of ta- trying to tackle that challenge? You know, in the midst of this this situation where it's it's tough to get anybody to, to come and take that job.
4: Well, it's interesting. Um, bonuses. We are we have a posting right now for some, for and we're actually about to take it down. Um, we were hiring support staff in the poker room, chip runners, and podium hosts, the people who check people in, um, and we were offering a bonus as well, a twenty five hundred dollars bonus. And It's mm. the first time we've ever done that, which tells you about the environment that we're in.
0: Yeah,
4: it's it's significant. You know, and, and running ACE is what we've done. And, and I know our, again, our competitor, and I'll mention him, Canterbury has done the same thing. Now Uh, we're running poker classes where we teach people how to deal poker. Um, Many years ago, I was fortunate enough not to have to do this, but many years ago, it was a very common thing that if you wanted to get into the industry, uh, you either had to know somebody or the more likely avenue was going to be, you were going to pay attend a school Hmm. and it was significant amount of money that you paid to attend a class somebody would teach you how to deal poker and this was not this was not insignificant money um and you weren't even necessarily guaranteed auditions or guaranteed jobs or anything and the pendulum has really swung and now we're having we're finding out that we're having to get very uh creative uh, to get people in and you know, I I I don't think anything is off the table going forward when it comes to staffing up our building. And maybe you never know. We may we may be offering signing bonuses for poker dealers at some
0: point. Yeah, Possibly. yeah. Well, it's you know it's the nature of any business, right? It's, it's ebb and flow yeah. and dynamics change. And I think the general population that hasn't been a business owner, hasn't been a business leader, doesn't really understand that. And so we we run into these situations where you know poker players that maybe haven't been in that situation don't really get um, why is this so hard to get dealers? Why is it, you know, why can't we have 40 minute levels on a $50 tournament with no rape? Like, (laughs) I don't don't understand why this is so hard. Like my buddy does that in his garage all the time. You know, I mean, you know, they're, they're not thinking about the, the business of poker. So that's why we wanted to have you on. So I want to talk a little bit about, let's, let's start about, you know, kind of, kind of where does poker fit into the landscape of casino profitability? I know that you know, running aces is different from any, from every other casino there, everybody's different, but you guys have harness racing, you have table games, you have video poker, you have live poker, you know, which is cash and tournaments. So talk a little bit about where does, where does tournament poker specifically sit into the the profitability matrix, if you will, uh, of a casino? How, how big of a piece of that is that?
4: Um, I'm going to use, I'll use everything I'm going to talk about will be kind of pre pandemic. So pre COVID, yeah. You know because that is also ultimately our goal is to be in that kind of an operation again let, let's um, hope so right like that's right let's let, let be the vision yeah yeah let's that's look. our vision and, and you know so you know given where we're at right now obviously tournament poker isn't fitting a lot in for us right now so
1: mm-hmm.
4: prior to the pandemic um you know for for running aces specifically and i i know others might be a little bit different but running aces um for lack of a better number, poker represented about oh, maybe ten to fifteen percent of our total uh, gaming revenue. Um, most of our gaming revenue comes from table games, uh, and, a, and a very small uh, slice of our gaming revenue comes from uh, the harness racing uh, proceeds. And then, obviously, there we have, we have some other you know we have some other things that are there's a little bit involved in, but very, mm-hmm. very, very little in that uh, you know in that regard. So. Um, where tournament poker fits in, um, for us is we always managed tournament poker in terms of the business side, as I won't, I don't want to use the term loss leader because we didn't lose money at it. Mm-hmm. However, we looked at it as a way to really bring people into our operation. Um, if you go back seven, eight years ago, uh, we were, you know, we were struggling as a company and, um, you know, one of our one of our my predecessors, uh, uh, Tristan Wilberg, who's one of our shift managers now, mm-hmm. um, he, he had a real he had a real nice vision for what poker tournaments could be, at Running Aces, and really started to get that going as a way to drive traffic into the building. So you you know we you started seeing us do a lot of things like thirty dollar tournaments, mm-hmm. you know where where players could come in and play a poker tournament. Get four to five hours of legitimate poker play with legitimate dealers, uh, an actual tournament director, at the cost of thirty dollars. It's just a just a fantastic uh, value. Um, we obviously weren't making money out of it, but we were driving traffic with it. Uh, he developed our free roll as well, which we had on Monday nights, uh, and the free roll actually ended up being uh, from a from on a weekly perspective was our most popular event. And drove a lot of traffic into the building. And what we ended up finding out was it became a great vehicle to help rec players become get into those move up levels because we started using the, the free roll to drive business to our multi day events. Right. Uh, our niche has kind of been with multi day events has been that, you know, at 200, 300 up to $500 buy-in a relatively affordable level for the rec player. And so we really started focusing on giving away seats, getting rec players into multi-day events. And all that did was just push and push and drive our, those monthly main events that we had, you know, through the roof. We did, Mm -hmm. did fantastic for them. And the revenue actually became pretty solid out of them as well. So definitely there is a place for tournament poker, uh, in any casino, I think, um, and I and for us as well, and um, we we even have some private conversations going on right now about what's the state of the poker room and where is it going to how are we going to expand it to make it work? So mm-hmm. the good news is those things are going on still. There's definitely value there and it fits.
0: so let's let's talk a little bit. I, I love it. I mean, I love it as part of the business model and I think it mm-hmm. seems like you've done a good job of uh, if we're, we're needed training your superiors on how it fits into. <laughs> Uh, the overall model not that they don't understand it but but you know Mm -hmm. because because from a profitability perspective tournament poker is just not there with the others and so i think that's a point that that's important for the recreational player to realize is that tournament poker is not making a lot of money off of you it's it's paying the bills but it's Mm -hmm. not like funding the casino and so one of the questions that i that i do get and i know you and i have talked a little bit about is uh profitability from a from a cash poker perspective and a tournament poker perspective. Maybe talk a little bit about why, why are cash games more profitable for the casino than tournaments?
4: Okay. So cash games, because we, we rake on a per hand basis, uh, cash games become such a hand, hands per hour kind of driven business where, whereas the tournament, tournament poker is a fixed, Revenue amount. We know once that tournament buy-in's done, we know how much revenue we're getting,
1: mm-hmm. and
4: at that point, it's how long is the tournament going to take, and your your so your hourly rate in terms of revenue depends strictly upon that. Whereas cash game revenue, it's as long as the cash game is we know open, we know we're going to make a, a rough ballpark uh, figure. Uh, it tends to be higher. Actually, it's quite a bit higher, um, and you know, short of know getting into the actual physical numbers Mm -hmm. it's strictly a volume perspective we're cranking out in cash games are cranking out 30 to 35 hands per hour you know many of them which are raked three quarters to full you know anywhere from so we're raking three to four dollars per hand Uh, whereas in tournament poker we don't care about hands per hour because the tournament players have played they've paid so at this point their hands per hour is kind of on them um you know and a lot of tournament players prefer to play to play it a slower slower pace which is why they like tournament poker they can be more analytical uh they can work more on you know many of the things you you guys talk about on a weekly basis reads uh you know how do they how they level set and all, all of those things um so but what it's that what ends up happening is it takes longer so mm-hmm. you know and for us time truly is money um the longer a table's open the more money i spend on it uh between Dealer hours, tournament director hours, and even to sliver that out a little bit, you know, I technically have cashier hours, mm-hmm. and then you know all of the other support departments, security, surveillance. Uh, you know, above that, you know, that still technically slides in there a little bit to cover that, and that's before I even get into fixed cost coverage. So, um, so for us, revenue-wise, obviously, cash games are strong. Uh, tournaments, weekly tournaments, are not super strong but they also serve a purpose. And, um, we, we definitely, I don't want to slight them at all because I think they matter. They matter a lot because it also exposes people to the casino.
1: Mm-hmm. It, it
4: exposes them to things that again, you move them up. A lot of players aren't comfortable with cash, but they can play a tournament. Eventually they'll play some cash. Uh, I've noticed we've had a lot of tournament players playing cash since we've reopened since, uh, Uh, since last summer and in part because we've you know we don't have tournaments available and they're branching out the fear factor is gone a little Mm -hmm. bit so
0: well i know you and i you and i have joked quite a bit in the past about me being your worst customer ever because uh, i come in i grab the free soda or the water and i come play a tournament and then when i'm done i leave i walk past the blackjack i walk past the cash games and I just walk out the door, like I'm your worst customer ever. But uh, so for you guys, part of the challenge is figure, okay, well, if if tournaments are a way to get people in the building, to then also, you know, hey, man, there's there's horse racing. We should go check that out, or there's we should go have dinner over here. I should invite my friends over to do this or play blackjack. So, do you guys, as part of the business, I assume with players' cards and that sort of thing, are you able to to track some of that? I mean, more than anecdotally, where you're saying, hey, I noticed that you know some some tournament players playing cash tournament or cash games are you able able to actually kind of track that and see what kind of value tournament players bring to the casino at large um uh, beyond the tournament
4: i actually am as a matter of fact um one of the things i do as part of my behind the scenes role is i will take because tournament players i have you require you're required to use a player card to play in a right. tournament so And typically if you've got a player card, what we've experienced is that you'll use it in a live game in order to get your comps because we comp live players back some money, whether it's pit or poker, they'll get some sort of comp back. Uh, Whether it's, you know, you can call it rake back, however you want to term it, but it's some sort of comp that goes back. So most of the time they use their card. So one of the things I do is I actually will take all of my tournament entrants and then measure the amount of cash game play that they will play in that particular day. So say, say for you example, for you, Steve, you played the Friday morning tournament a lot, that hundred dollar tournament we had, um, you know, prior to the, prior to the shutdown was a real popular tournament for us and becoming a real popular tournament for us. So in theory, what I would do is after that tournament's done the next week, I would take everybody that played that tournament and I would run those numbers against, um, I have a report that can show me how much cash game play they played every one of those players in our facility. Mm -hmm. And then I can show to, you know, the people that matter to me, my superiors have to, then I can show them, Hey, I'm getting this many hours in cash game play out of my tournament players. And it's a fantastic way to correlate value to having a tournament in the building. Um, And I'll, I'll, I'll share with you, one of the big revelations with the free roll so you think of a free roll and you think well how are these guys getting away with dumping six or seven main event seats into a free roll every week and making this work
0: and all the dealers and everything for 200 300 well, people right i mean it's we're, a we're, big...
4: we're, yeah. so i've got i've got 12 to 15 dealers in on a monday night when you know, <laughs> i don't need them normally um i've got a tournament director and the place is pell-mell for, uh, for two hours straight or three hours. And, you know, tables are breaking constantly because it's a real tight structure and it's, it's just nuts.
0: Yeah.
4: Um, so how does, how does something like that work for its profitability wise? And I was able to show that we were gaining an average of about 300 hours of table game play every Monday between the start before the start of the tournament and after the end of the tournament, wow. mm-hmm. so on a night that normally would be a pretty quiet night for us, um, and that's just a rough number, and that's just an example mm-hmm. of how we were able to correlate why this is a good event for the players and for running aces. You know, because again, it exposes the players to oh, yeah. a venue they don't normally get. They, a guy that's a rec player who's you know literally his 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 recreational budget is. Um, his rec budget might only be a hundred bucks,
1: mm-hmm. but
4: all of a sudden he wins, or he's one of the top five on a Monday night, and now he's got a seat into a two hundred uh, yeah, and eighty event.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, how about how you know, how would, uh, Emmanuel Evigan? I mean, you know you know this story. Emmanuel, yeah, e- Emmanuel, I don't think he even did any add ons. He's late showing up to the free roll. He yep. got the two thousand chips. Uh, we yep. interviewed him on the podcast. He ends up right one of those seven seats. He ends up winning uh, the the two hundred and ninety for forty thousand dollars or something, something like that. that. Yep. And it changed his life, right? I mean, I think those, those are the cool stories, right? That make people think it's the money maker, like maybe I could do that too.
4: It is, yeah, and it does. It gives us that. It's funny you mentioned money maker because that is exactly what this is. It's still the money maker dream, except really in a live event, yeah. Um, you know, and and I, I can't wait for it to come back. Um, but it was a great, and that's the some from a business perspective, it shows you the value of tournaments. Um, and we all see it, so you know there's still always going to be the pressure of profitability, hence why structure ends up tightening something how always has to give because costs do go up.
0: Yeah. So, you think, know, and
4: you, that might be a great segue into other topics. Right, that,
0: that's but. what I'd love to talk about. Uh, you know, yeah. and I, I think, you know, what it's very shrewd of you to connect those dots, but I think it's not maybe intuitively obvious to everybody to connect those dots. And I think that's important that you do that because as a tournament player, we can't lose tournaments. You need to keep fighting for us, John. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I think, I think, um, um, I just lost my train of thought. Uh, what were you What were you just talking about, John?
4: Talking about the, the costs going up costs going up. How do you. we manage costs going up while at the same time making the value of the event still good for the player? Um, you know, it's a, it's a it's a tricky balancing act. Um,
0: yeah, that, that is a balancing act, right? Like, yeah, thank you for the reminder, but because that is what we hear. You know, like all I hear is, "Wow, man, the, the structure is too fast," or you know, why are they taking so much rake or whatever? I mean, you're taking 15 bucks off or whatever. And, you know, people want it all. So maybe, yeah, do talk a little bit about how do you do that? How do you approach that with, you know, with, with the price range and say, how do I balance how long this tournament's going to go with how much rake I'm going to collect with, you know, how deep the structure is and all of these things. How do you go about that?
4: So basically I've tried to, what I've tried to do and not every house is going to be the same way. Every other, other casinos may do things differently. Certainly, they probably do things differently. Uh, what I've always tried to do when working out tournament costs or tournament, you know, tournament uh, this tournament structures and tournament cost is I've tried to keep it fairly consistent from a buy-in perspective. Uh, I price point anything under hundred dollars. I've tried to keep at a uh, a flat rake level, uh, and I've strictly adjusted based upon structure and then a hundred dollars and above the rake level goes up a little bit structure gets better.
1: Mm -hmm.
4: Um, And then obviously when we get into main event structure, rake level goes up again, but percentage wise, the rake level actually starts to drop. So, and so I, I try to, I try to, when I, when I talk a little bit about this, I try not to go into the percentage factor too much. Because the lower the buy-in tournament, the higher the percentage is just strictly strictly going to be. Uh, facts are, you know, if I run a thirty-dollar poker tournament, I still need to charge something. So, even if that ends up being, we were only raking eight dollars on a thirty-dollar tournament. Mm-hmm. Hence, it what in in that one instance, those tournaments actually worry loss leader for yeah. us many times. When I would run, I would run my profitability, you know analysis on those tournaments we were negative Mm -hmm. so we would run those tournaments basically at a cost to the to the casino um you know in hindsight it it still was a good thing at the time you know going forward that probably won't be a strategy i'll use yeah
0: um
4: you know it's just it's a fact of life so having said that so as a percentage you know we were looking at a little over 25 percent back then Mm -hmm. um And then I think our biggest percentage that we would rake was the $50 event, our $50 tournaments where we were raking $15 on. So basically anything between 50 and 99, I'll use 99 as a number because we don't have a $99 buy-in, but anything between 50 and 99, I raked $15. Mm -hmm. So percentage-wise would change uh, just a buy-in, but the rake stayed the same, level stayed the same. Uh, So the buy-in ended up becoming more of a function of trying to get people in at certain times of the day tends, you know, buy-ins tend to be a little bit lower morning times. It's, it's a different crowd. Uh, You can have a little more of aggressive buy-in later in the day. So those 6 p.m., 7 p.m. kind of start times uh, you can have a bigger buy-in because you tend to get, you know, a little bit more discretionary dollars coming into the building. Mm -hmm. So that was my, that was my goal when I would really set those structures up was to think about where, where the, where the right buying level should be. And then what the rake structure should be going along with that.
0: Yep.
4: And then considering, you know, that, and then I'm pretty happy to say up until, you know, up until now, we haven't really raised our rake structure at running ACEs in a long time. So you know,
0: that was one of the questions I had for, had for you is I mean, I know you haven't like, as long yeah. as I've been around, which is right. the whole time running ACEs has been open and I'm like, what I'm pretty well aware of what, like the cost of living increase and what, you know, it has been over that time. And so presumably uh, your costs for overhead, for electricity, for dealers, for benefits, all of those things have been increasing every year and the rake hasn't. And so what gives, like, <laughs> how, how do we do that? I know that's not a sustainable business model.
4: Right. So two things occur with that. Um, and I'll, I'll, let's talk, the minimum wage is always the great, the easy one that everybody kind of understands because they know where minimum wage is at, and our dealers are tipped employees, but they get a minimum wage as well. Right. You know, seven, eight years ago, or ten years ago, when Running Ace, or twelve years ago when Running Ace opened, state minimum wage I think was seven dollars an hour or six seventy-five or something. Um, now it's ten oh eight I believe is the number. Um, but yeah, you're right. Our rake hasn't gone up. Mm-hmm. So in order to make the tournament even kind of keep it level in terms of net revenue, you could pull you can pull levels out, you could take chips out of play, or you can raise the rake up. Um, so I've, I have tweaked levels a little bit, um, enough to where we, we've been able to keep the tournaments kind of at the same numbers in terms of profitability. However, that number, those numbers have gone down. Like, a, you know, when I use the $30 tournament as an example, Um, it was becoming, in 2019, it was becoming very apparent that in order for that to be profitable, I had to have 150 entries, Mm -hmm. which is just mind numbing in order, in order for a tournament to be profitable, that I have to have 150 Mm -hmm. entries. That's like you said, it's not a sustainable business model.
0: Yeah. So
4: at some point something was going to give, um, but you know, so coming out of the pandemic, um, you know, I, I, and I don't think this is going to be a surprise to anybody, but our rake is going up a little bit Um, when we do have tournaments back, but I don't think, I think it's going to be a, it'll be a pleasant surprise for people when they do see the rake structure. Um, So I'm happy. I'm pretty happy about that so far. It will be going up, but it won't be going up so much that people will be offended by it. Um, And I think, you know, this weekend was a good litmus test for us in terms of structure and kind of gave me some ideas about how I want the structure to look going forward. But the structure that I have, I think in place in general, I think is going to work pretty well. So um, I'm pretty happy about that. And I'm, I actually kind of can't wait to get it rolled out at some point. <laughs> <We> <laughs> so
0: and, and I yeah. think that's one of our, one of the roles that we want to take on too is to help help people understand why rakes do go up. Like I think sure. the, the people that aren't really close to it don't really get it why the rakes are going to go up. And this may be a great opportunity for you to do that. But to just recognize that expenses have increased dramatically, the rate needs to increase dramatically. And I think I know you're looking at it really from a from a business perspective, of, as a business owner, business manager, business leader. And I know I've looked at at structures from a user perspective and trying right. to find a metric that actually makes sense. Uh, I know different people have different ways to look at it, but I tried to break it down and said, okay, what are the what are the average expected number of hours I'm going to play in this tournament to reach the final table? So that's kind of how I look at it. And then I look at what is the cost per hour? What is my overall cost per expected hour if I reach the final table? Uh, and I should reopen this whole thing, but I did a, a broad analysis. And this isn't just because you're our sponsor, but Running Aces was always on top of that thing. And so when you look at, because, because your structure was so much better uh, than, than other local tournaments, at least the ones that I looked at. And so I knew that I could actually, as a as a hobbyist, um, I could pay less per hour to come have somebody bring me drinks, deal to me, you know, I mean, what, what a great yeah. thing, right? And right. not have to create a poker tournament myself. So, uh, you know, kudos to you for that. But but I want to open it up um, any questions from the panel. Chris, it looks like maybe you've got a question. Or a comment. Well, the
1: only other thing I wanted to add to this, because the other, you know, I, John, I'm sure you're more familiar than I am about how uh, wonderful poker players are but how they also like to complain about everything. Absolutely. Uh, no, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> We're all good at that to some extent. <laughs> but I mean I think the other thing that you often hear from people and I think uh people got a little spoiled even uh with COVID and some of the rules that went into place is like why can't we always be six handed or seven handed? Why? You know, I think people were like, and then, you know, some of the walls came down and it said, well, why don't we just stay seven handed? And maybe you can talk about that mix into the dynamic of between rake and structure and buy-in. And then also how many players you have at a table, especially for tournaments, like how that plays into the mix. So the volume of player
4: per per table really will drive as the manager for me, the total amount of table hours that are open for the tournament, which is my cost. So, obviously, the fewer players per table, the more table hours I have. Now, there are tournaments that you run that are shorthanded. We we used to run a six a, a tournament that was a six max event, and was pretty popular. So, um, I know we follow we follow TDA, and we are when we open, we will go back to a nine. Uh, we will stay at nine handed for a tournament structure. Um, the, you could go less, but again, there is a break point there. So if if it takes, if I have say an 80 player tournament, say I have 80 seats and I want to run it um, nine handed, I, or say, let's go, let's just use say I got eight tables. I'll just do better numbers. I got eight tables, I want to go nine handed, I can seat 72 players. If I only want to go eight handed, I can seat 64 players. So if you're talking eight players of revenue, say I'm raking $25 a head, that's a $200 hit to the company. Or, or say, or I have to have more tables open to make that up. So if I want to add those eight players, I need to open up one more table, I can get that extra $200, but it's going to cost me X amount of additional table time hours uh, to have it open um, and then it may get into now you get into other cost factors to some opportunity costs what if i only have one more table available and i want to use it for a cash game as an example so do i give up that opportunity of that cash game revenue to have that tournament open um, there, so there are it's not just these if it's just a simple well just open another table thing well that's an easy that's an easy decision to make if you know, assuming you've got staff available, etc. But if it, it's not always just that simple, sometimes it is opportunity cost. So that is that's an important um, and probably one of the more um, overlooked factors when making those decisions. So in general, I'm an I'm a proponent of generally having a eight to nine handed tournament is what I would prefer to have as a tournament director, um, just from a management perspective. Also. Um, it makes um, it makes running the tournament a little more a um, little more predictable. Uh, those six max tournaments, they're fun to play, they're fun to run, but boy, you can get really tricky with trying to keep tables balanced. Yeah. And you start bouncing players back and forth. And I know you've probably many of you've probably experienced this, but there's nothing more frustrating than getting moved, and then all of a sudden, guess what? You get moved ten minutes later. And then you get moved again. And I'm, I'm here, the, I'm the director and I'm sheepishly coming over with a rack of saying, well, I gotta, I gotta have you go. You're the big blind coming up. I'm moving you and I've already moved you once and you're losing value now because you're yeah. in theory, losing hands. Um,
0: we, I prefer see coming, not we see you coming and we're like, who's in the big blind?
4: Oh, right. And it's everybody knows the look. They all, they all see the look on my face and they know what's coming and you know, it's an unavoidable thing, and I, you know, one of the things I really tasked the Running Aces tournament team was with was is to be active and be
1: mm-hmm.
4: aggressive, make keep tables balanced. And I thought I thought we did a pretty darn good job of it. And you know, in main events, even daily events, I really pushed to keep um, tournaments balanced, tables balanced. It was something I heard coming in when I first took the role over back in 2018. And I really focused on it. I think we've done a really nice job of that. So, um, and it's something I will continue to focus on. Um, So, so there, I mean, I hope that it's kind of a lot of talk, but I hope that covers kind of the whole process of why I want it, why you want to keep the tables um, as many handed as possible to at least open up. Now, I will tell you this, we are going to be nine handed going forward. Uh, We were 10 handed prior to uh, the pandemic. So that is one change that I am making, uh, you know, in part because I am raising rake a little bit and TDA has, they have, that's their preferred um, tournament style going forward is nine handed um, short of, you know, special event kind of things. Um, But they have recommended nine handed as the um, norm. And I would like to stick with that as much as possible. And plus it doesn't hurt to have a little bit extra space at the table. I was going to say, we're all big guys here. We like to get those elbows and knees involved. I, I, you know, we haven't met in person, Jim, but I'm pretty big. So, and, and Steve <laughs> and and Chris probably tested that a little bit, um, you know, and John's not as big as he used to be, but he, uh, he could yeah. probably understand as well. He's, he's a lot. He's oh, a lot. Yeah.
0: John's uh, half the man he used to be. <laughs> for
4: sure.
3: Well, you know, I think it's, it's good to know we've all gone through COVID and we witnessed a number of businesses that ha- were not able to survive. Um, so we have to remember that everything here is a two way street. Mm-hmm. So if, if we don't as players make it so that running aces can make a profitable business, then we don't have a place to play. Yeah. So, you know, we've got to look at it both ways. It, it would be great if they would put on a tournament that would charge $1 rake for <laughs> a $55 buy-in <laughs> and the tournament would run for 12 hours over three days. That would be a great structure for people. They would do it for a month and go out of business and yep. they'll never do it again. Yep. Right. So we've got to keep in mind, now it's not saying you can't push for getting good value out of your money. I'm not saying that, we all want that. But on the other hand, it's gotta be a win-win for both sides. Right, absolutely. Well, and you know that's why we started experimenting with with um,
4: other kind of events and trying to come up with different ways to get extra value for players while we were still making an appropriate, you know, what we needed to make to make the tournament viable for us. Um, the The Great Minnesota, which was our August main event, uh, and I don't know if you if if you guys recall this one, but um, it was it was an opportunity to play a multi-day event for $150 technically and we had some you know some add-on features to that as well where you could do a a $50 re-entry basically if you felt it um so and then there was a staff appreciation that we threw in there so in theory you could spend up to $210 um but we gave a lot of chips out for it, so in theory you could have you could have actually had a starting stack of like forty thousand chips, if I recall. And yep. I don't remember the exact. I think
0: that's right.
4: Yeah, yeah, and it was a great and, but you know, but for a two day event, for a multi day event, we had twenty minute blind levels, so you can imagine what it was like to go into day two. Um, the first iteration of that, we had we brought back almost two hundred players into day two, which was just a blast. Now, it was a blast for the players. <laughs> I was running around like a chicken with my head cut off. And uh, amongst, you know, we had three tournament directors that day. And we were, we, we couldn't, we were breaking tables fast and we could move people around. It was just incredible. It almost felt like a World Series event. It was kind of fun in that regard. Um, but, you know, that was an opportunity for us to, again, the value there was really, we didn't, we raked, I think our rake on that, I, I think I had it set at $25 on the 150. And then the additional the additional 50, I think was another 15 to $20. Mm-hmm. So it ended up being, you know, if you were one of the fortunate ones that could kind of run in cheap, you could have, you could have raked that, at, you know, $25 for that $150 buy-in it wasn't all that bad mm-hmm. for a multi-day event. So getting creative like that is is, is really the challenge. I mean, I think Tournament managers across the United States probably up until the last couple of years, or even the last year, probably haven't had to really become creative. Well, they're going to have to get creative now in order to make these things viable. Um, short of just raking everything, raising rake up to where it's not sustainable or where players don't play. So, because I still want players to come in. So uh, that, you know, so feedback is still always welcome.
0: Yep. Yeah, yeah, especially constructive feedback. Yeah, <laughs> especially, absolutely, especially you know,
4: ideas, you know. feedback is, is good. Well, and the Great Minnesota came out of an idea from a player, and a, a player said, "Well, why don't you?" And, and said at one point to my predecessor, uh, "Why don't you guys have a multi-day event for a little buy-in?"
1: Mm-hmm. So
4: he had this base, broad base idea that I took and ran with, and uh, after you know, I with one of my other tournament directors, and then. uh, uh, Tristan Wilberg, we beat this thing up for about six months trying to come up with a good structure and a way to make it work and we came up with it and we just blew it out of the water. So pretty proud of that fact. Um, and, well, I, uh, I
0: mean, what, what I'm hearing there, and I think what the, what the poker world needs to hear, you know, is that our, our tournament directors our tournament managers, casino managers are out there trying to be creative, uh, trying to balance these things. And it's not easy. If you've ever had a position in your life that you've had to try to optimize things where there's no, something always has to give it, it can be really tricky. So I think it's important for, for people to hear that you are out there trying to, trying to, you know, optimize the whole triangle of the rake and the structure and, and how many people at the table. And I think what John said, I think is, is impressive. I think that's. Right on. You know, we're in this movement of hey, support local, support small businesses. Mm-hmm. Same thing here because we want them around. We don't want the flower right. shops and the shoe stores downtowns to close, and we don't want our local card room to close. I don't want you guys to close and have to go more than twenty right. minutes to go play cards. Uh, from right. a very selfish perspective, but I think I think that's what I want the people to hear is that man, we got good people, smart people trying to crack this nut uh, of of how do we how do we optimize the experience. And so I, I know we're at time, but John, is there anything that that you're thinking, man, I really want to kind of share this with people that we didn't really ask you about.
4: Oh, sure. Um, you know, I, uh, well, we kind of touched on it just recently here. Uh, feedback, I think is great. One of the things that I have really, since I took the rollover back in 2018, is was I really focused on listening to our customers. I think I, they come up with great ideas. Um, and I, to me, the, if it's presented in a positive manner or at least a constructive manner, right. uh, to me, that feedback is invaluable. And the more feedback that players can provide, um, even if it's an off the wall idea, you never know what can come out of it. So, uh, I want to encourage that, whether it's myself or any other room in the country, you guys are the best source, uh, of knowledge for us to make tournaments. You want, we, we're the ones who, when I mean, we can come up with ideas, but we don't know if they're going to work or not. Um, players are a far better source for that. And the more you challenge us, the better, the more we have to be competitive in that regard. Mm-hmm. So in both on the cost side and the value side. So, you know, we have to give you value at the same time while we earn for the, for the casino so we can stay in business. So it is a two, you know, it, it's two way street, but challenge us. Otherwise you end up getting, you know, what probably has happened a lot over the country over the last decade, which is just stagnation. Um, You know, tournaments just look the same. they are the same, nothing changes, um, you know, and, and so the more ideas that can come out the better. So I would always encourage that. Uh, The other thing I would add um, on the business side of this uh, are, you know, for the career side Uh, Mm -hmm. people, you know, I'll, I'll share with you how I got into this. I, I kind of got into poker on accident. Um, I, I've been in this business now for about, I've been, I've been working this for about 10 years. Uh, I dealt in a bar league for a couple of years, uh, while I was working here, uh, maybe for a little bit before. And then while I was, when I was at ACE, when I started at ACEs, I was doing that for a little bit. Um, but I'm, my history is I'm a supply chain manager. Mm
1: -hmm. So
4: totally out of, totally out of casino business. I, I was in supply chain for over, oh geez, 13, 14 years. And then I, uh, then I was in real estate. I was a GM of a, a title and closing services company for a few years. And so I have this really weird background and I had wanted to become a poker dealer in part because I thought of it as a good retirement job. And, and so I had a friend who, who worked at Canterbury who was doing this bar league, kind of trained me. And I ended up getting into running aces that way. So I kind of fell into it on accident and um, it's worked out really well for me. I really enjoy it. And so what I've really found with working in this business is that it's the most fun I've ever had working in my adult career. It's a fun job. Working, you, you know, working with you guys is a lot of fun even though it's frustrating at times, it is a lot of fun. I have. I look forward to, you know, when I was running tournaments, I really look forward to walking in and find out what kind of tournament I was going to have that day. What can I do to sell our business to these guys, you know, to the tournament players a little bit more, Uh, you know, what kind of challenges am I going to have? It's a lot of fun Um, dealers, dealers. And, and, you know, and, and if you're going to be a dealer in this business, you know, dealers can make good money Mm -hmm. um, working part-time, and they get to deal poker. Right. You know, when I was in supply chain, I saw guys loading trucks in the middle of summer, like right now, <laughs> with a clear top trailer, and the trailer inside is probably 120 degrees, and the sweat is pouring off their foreheads, and they're loading these trucks. And you and that and those guys got paid well too. You could be doing that, or you could be dealing poker to John Somsky. The most chill guy in the world who's not going to, who's the nicest guy around. And, you know, he's, he's going to take care of you and you're going to have, you're going to have fun while you're working. So for anybody that's ever thought about it, I would say, investigate it. Talk to people that are in the business, learn more about it. There are a lot of ways to get into this business. Uh, Especially right now, there's a ton of opportunities, just like any other business. So if you've ever been on the fence, I would say, investigate it. You know, if you have fun playing you're probably going to have fun working in this business too. I, 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 would love, really I love
0: that. And I think you know, as part of our partnership too, like if, if we can, if Rick Booker could play a part in that too, of if, if you're sure. wondering, if you're seeking guidance on would this be a good career for me or not, reach out to us, man. We
2: we you
0: understand that as well. If it's intimidating to go to John or to the casino,
2: right. uh, you
0: know, talk to us. We want to be part of that deal too. And I mean, our our community will help you learn the other games too, and to supplement the training you're oh, getting. You know, so I I do think that's, that's, you know, a partnership that we can have. So I love that. And I think, you know, dealing could be the end stage career for you, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, that might, but that's a great career in and of itself. You get to go to the world series of poker, if you're good enough. And if your desire to do that, you get to deal some of these big tournaments that John, you know, that John puts on that a hundred thousand dollars for the winner. You get to be in big spots Mm -hmm. uh, dealing with people and you get to deal to, People are going to tip really well <laughs> in, in some of the games. Those Omaha games are crazy. Yeah. People pretty crazy oh, game. It's like they're tipping really well, so I think that's a great thing. But also, just getting into the industry—if um, mm-hmm. you love poker, if you love being around poker—I know poker dealers have often made the best players because if it, they sit there and spend hours at a time studying yeah. reads and studying uh, what people are doing and betting patterns. And so, I think it's a great on-ramp. Uh, if it's not the final career stage, it's a great on-ramp to just being in the industry and doing something and being around something that you love
4: yeah it's funny you mentioned that about players and dealers being good players and i remember when i was dealing and i was it wasn't even intentional but it it felt like i knew what everybody had
0: yeah
4: Mm. and it it taught me what it taught me Mm. was what for and and for your guys for your audience what i learned the the lesson from that was pay attention hmm If you're a player and you're not paying attention, you're missing tons of information, you know, because dealers have to pay attention. We don't have a choice when we're dealing. So I got the cards and I'm dealing my cards and I'm running my game. I don't get to watch the TV or at least if I'm a good dealer, I don't get to watch the TV or I don't get to talk to the waitress. or I don't get to look at my phone or I don't get to, you know, talk to the guy next to me about the football game or, you know, any of that. I've got to run the game. And what I discovered in that process was, boy, I can, I know what everybody's got, or at least I think I do. Right. So that was a big wake up call for me. So if there's no lesson out, if nothing else comes out of this, I think your, your audience, um, all the people listening to this, they can take away that, you know, when you're playing at a poker game, it doesn't matter if it's tournament or cash, put your phone down, put watching the TV, watch what's happening watch players i mean you learn a ton of of what's going on yep. and you know and then for me as the guy working in the business it made the game that much more enjoyable because i can see i can start to see what people are doing yeah and oh this makes sense now oh that's mm. why and mm-hmm. so yeah
0: and then if you're here you know, don't don't say that in the middle of the hand though
4: you still sit there, nice and quiet. And you're like, hmm, I don't know what <laughs> yeah, oh, you don't say that out oh. loud, <laughs> right? So, well, John, I
0: mean, it's it's always like You and I have talked for hours already before. We'll absolutely, talk hours again, and uh, we could talk for hours now. But this this is so good. I hope it just gives some people a little bit more insight into the into the business side sure. of poker. I think your your final two comments about feedback is welcome. Like if it's intimidating to get a hold of John, get a hold of us. We'll pass it on. But but John, Absolutely. you know, I think that's important. Uh, and then the whole like, the career side is is important. Um, and that that's part of how we run the business. But you know, as we kind of wrap up here, how how do people get in touch with you? If they say, you know what, John does seem approachable, and he is. I can attest to that. I have ideas that I think are helpful. How do they actually reach out to a casino manager?
4: So I'm sure every casino across the country has a couple of basic ways to get a hold of them. We have we have an email feedback piece that you can that any customer can go to. And I think it's just info at runaces.com. It's literally that email address, info at runaces.com. Um and you can always reach out and just make comments or ask questions. Um, and we get a fair amount of questions regarding tournaments through that, through that um, that outlet already. Um, and Steve, I'm also comfortable sharing my email address with you guys. Okay. You can go ahead and you, you have it. So you can go ahead and yeah. share that however you want. Um, I don't know if you want to run a sidebar or whatever, but you know, yeah, we'll, if put, you're, that,
0: we'll if, put that in the show notes. So, like, sure. learn.
4: Yeah. And, and, you know, your, your, you know, your, your audience is they're free to reach out to me at any point. They ask me questions about anything. I am absolutely open and open to, uh, to anything for them. Like if I can answer questions for them, great. Uh, if they've got comments or, or, um, or, or even want to talk about the business, you know, about working in the business, uh, right. whatever I can do to help out.
0: Well, it sounds good. I mean, I know you listen to all of my wacky ideas from <laughs> charity tournaments to yep. rec poker reunion to everything else. So yep. uh, you're always open to conversation. They don't always work out, but uh, you are open to that. So, so, John, I just want to thank you again for being on here. Thanks for well, you and running ACEs team. I'm just an amazing partner for us. Uh, we love that we get to champion you guys every week and we love that we get to have our reunions there and all that stuff. So, man, thank, thanks for all you do for us and for the poker industry in general.
4: Yeah, glad to be part of it and glad that you guys could have me on. Uh, John, it's good to see you again. Chris, I hope yep. you had a good time this weekend. Jim, good. I can't
2: wait to meet you in person. Count on it, buddy. Looking forward to that. All right. all right. Well, there he goes,
4: John
0: Barrow. John, you can feel free to drop off. We got some, okay. uh, some other things we're going to take care of, but uh, we'll be in touch. Thanks so much for everything.
4: All right. Sounds good. Take care.
0: All it right, shows. well, let's, let's uh, listen in on what uh, Jonathan Little uh, has to say, and then we'll come back with winners of home games, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about more some of some what's going on in the community here. Ever wondered whether you should call a preflop raise or 3-bet instead? What do you do when you have a flush draw? Do you raise it, or do you just call? What do you do with ace-king when you miss the flop?
3: Are you tired of guessing about what the right play is with your particular hand? Well, my name is Jonathan Little, and I am a two-time World Poker Tour champion and creator of PokerCoaching.com, where
0: we offer over a 1,000 interactive hand quizzes where you play a hand and then get
2: real-time feedback from our world-class pros. Don't guess and don't stress. Just register for your free account at PokerCoaching.com slash Poker right now. That might be, it's a record. We've got three Johns on the podcast tonight. Uh, Jonathan Little, John Barrows, and John Somsky. I think that might be a first.
0: <laughs> hey. And we got a Jones and a Jim. I'm the only one to throw it Oh, yeah. Jay.
2: Get this bum out of here.
0: <laughs> I know, right? Well, I know we we use up a lot of extra time talking to John so we can make this part a little bit quicker. But uh, any, any thoughts, anything kind of stick with you guys uh, from that conversation?
3: I think it's clear he has uh, a passion for it, which is good for all of us. And, you know, if you've got ideas that will make the experience better, get them up.
0: Yeah. Now, are you only saying nice things about John because he says nice things about you or is that how
3: you honestly feel? <laughs> no, he's, he's always been a really nice guy.
2: <laughs> In fact, that was one thing that really piqued my interest. He mentioned this possibility of people like sitting at a poker table enjoying working with John somsky and I'm like, if anyone can figure out how to enjoy working with John somsky man, please let me know. We're all desperate to figure out how to have a good time hanging it's out with a this guy. Yeah, him.
3: Yeah, I didn't bother to dissuade him of the his opinion that he thinks <laughs> I'm a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let him figure that out the hard way.
1: Chris, anything for you? I mean, it, it's just great. I, you know, I think I think that, you know, I, I kind of joked about it, but I think that poker players do complain a lot about yeah. about rake, about structure, about, you know, everything. Because we do want to just be able to, like, basically play for free with our long levels where, you know, we get all uh, – we want everything, but I'd like it to be six-handed, please. And, like, right. there is some sort of balance in there that we've got to, like, become – aware of and cognizant of that, you know, you're going to a business, they're paying people to deal to you. Um, and uh, there's a whole infrastructure and cost involved with doing that. So uh, it's really good to think about that. And it's really good to understand that there's people like John who are, mm. are cognizant of that and are trying to work creatively to, you know, still create player-friendly environments and structures and uh, kind of listen to what players want. So uh, yeah. it was a great conversation. It
0: is interesting. Like it's where else do you go and have that same experience? Like if I'm going to go in and I'm going to, I'm going to order sushi and it comes with, I don't even, I don't eat sushi, but I don't it comes with three rolls or something and it's $20. I have no idea if that's good or bad. Am I going to like <laughs> say, you know what? I think I should get six rolls for $12. Like, I mean, it just feels like, you know, for some reason, poker players have this, this freedom, this license to, to know better, but you know, we, were, we wouldn't really do that at restaurants, um, right. you know, because we just trust that they're charging us the right, amount. so it's it's interesting. But, uh, you know, John and I have a lot of conversations about the the nuances of, of where poker fits into the business. And I think it's, I think it's fascinating. Uh, and I think as much as we can help support with awareness as well as like, you know, research or whatever to help support, you know, the, the value of the tournaments in the casino, I think that's how they're gonna stay alive. So
1: ahead, you know one of the, the last thing is like, I, I think it would be kind of fascinating to sort of talk to some of our members too. Cause I, you know, like I, I, I don't know, even if you ask me, do you want a higher rake with a better structure or a worse structure with a lower rake or, you know, like where, where do people, it's sort of an interesting di- I mean, like this yeah. is the dilemma that tournament directors have to face all the time. And uh, I don't, you know, I, if I had to just like pick and choose what mine, optimum was, I, you know, I don't even know where I'd land. I've yeah. done
0: some of that work and I should pull it out at some point, but it's sort of like, okay, well, nine-handed to eight-handed, that's 10% higher cost, so do you want a 10% higher rate instead of $5 or, you know, $20 would be $22. Is that, not that it's perfectly right, accurate,
1: right, or... And is that worth it to have a, to have eight-handed play, which you right. like better? You know, I, I don't know. Right,
0: eight-handed but you lose two minutes off of each level. You prefer right. it. And I think, I think those are interesting because it is given thing. Now, a fascinating... Fedons. Yeah,
2: that's it trade-offs you know it's like different players have different preferences for these kind of cusp cases where it's like where where is the value present for for certain people i think that's now we're going to get into
0: utility theory now you're really
2: (laughs) that's right we all have a
0: different utility curve of those different things exactly there we go (laughs) he'll get me going but but good stuff (laughs) so let's get into some of the community happenings just real quick uh you know we had a great time this weekend we talked about a little bit we had uh a few of us participated in the in the harness racing. They gave us some some bets so we could learn how to use the machine. It was pretty fun. Um, you know, I, I had a great time playing the ponies and just but sitting outside. I, and I bet
1: on the I bet on the five horse every time. It never came in. So <laughs> that, that is, that's not a good strategy. No, you got
2: to bet on the fifty five horse. You Need a real big track for that one. Chris had
0: been playing cash too, so I was placing his bets for him when when he, once he got seated. And it was like yep, five horse to win every race, and he didn't get in. <laughs> Uh, my strategy. Now listen, listen very carefully. My strategy turned out to be bet the number one horse to win, and also the number two horse to finish first or second. Um, and the theory behind that is because then I wouldn't forget who I picked when I was watching the race, and I would <laughs> take a slip out of my pocket. And go, oh, well, they get a six horse to show. So one to finish one or one two to finish one or two. And
2: I made
1: pretty. Yeah, you Yeah, you won. You won money doing that. Genius. <laughs> genius but, but
2: no, everybody's we, got a system
0: we had fun you know that we had dinner we had the races then friday we had dinner um and then we we had the tournament which which capped out uh what we could what we could fit in four tables saturday morning we had breakfast and then we had the the tournament a number of people showed up to those meals it was just super fun uh the whole thing a super fun uh troy graffentine was our inaugural invitational champion beating andrew feist Wow. Andrew was one card away. It was so close. <laughs> <laughs> Tournaments, yeah.
1: Tournaments are cruel.
0: Tournaments uh, are cruel. I was able to get heads up. Of Brian Morey took down the second uh, tournament. So those were our two champions, Troy, Brian, great job. But wonderful yes. time uh, was had by all uh, the entire weekend. So definitely a do-over uh, type of event. So thanks for everybody that came out. Uh, and participate in that thing. Uh, running Aces was thrilled and we had a ball. And like John said, we treated the dealers great, treated the servers great. People said it was like a charity event. People are so happy and just positive community. And so uh, thanks for being uh, consistent with uh, what it is we're trying to do here. So wonderful stuff. Uh, with that, why don't we turn it over to Mr. Somsky, who of course, as uh, Mr. Barrows convinced that he's nice as well. <laughs> John, what do you have to say for us? About
3: uh, anything or? <laughs> what's your thought on, you know, I know stoicism. You could go down there.
2: And- yeah, do it.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, I was going to have a long uh, philosophical debate here, but we are running a little long oh, yeah. on time. So I think I'm, I'm going to just actually go to our home game uh, winners. <laughs> so <laughs> we had our No Limit Hold'em Championship Series on Wednesday, June 2nd. And now, then, KB Doug Barron won his very first championship event. Nicely done. Then, uh, for our daily series and the nightly events, (laughs) Kabuloshua. I think 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 that's Uh,
0: exactly how it is. I don't know. I
3: I, I really apologize for my hacking of that name, but Adelson Neves Wernick. Got his uh, very first nightly win, and he just joined like within the last month. So yeah, where's, do you remember where he's from? He's an international player. He's from
2: Brazil. And we were three handed in that tournament. And it was the two of us and uh Roger Lamp, I think, or was it Roger Shoot? Oh no, I don't remember now. It was one of the great Rogers at Rec Poker. And uh it I, I cannot believe these guys were just bringing the heat um every single hand. I remember that one. That was a big one. And I've seen uh Adelson in a bunch of the tournaments since then. So I think they're gonna be a regular feature around here.
0: But I think that's our first Brazilian winner, John. I think, unless oh. you know otherwise, right?
2: That
3: could be. I do not. Yeah. That's one of the stats I do not track: is yeah. the location, or birth dates, or addresses, or zip codes right. of any of the <laughs> players. That
0: yeah, I just happened to notice it in the home game. So congratulations.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Very nicely Then. Nice. Then I don't first? know if we're going to be shipping any merchandise down to Brazil. I mean, we can talk about that. But if we do, can we just take a second here? Because I don't want John to get too comfortable. I, I know that the black and yellow looks good for Steelers fans everywhere. But check out the Silver Fox over here. Look at Steve Fredlin rocking the black and white. Damn, Steve, you're making it look good, man.
0: Um, it's No, <laughs> thank you. It, it's a good looking shirt. I, 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 started wearing, I wore the polo up to Fargo and I'm like, I kind of like this. Uh, I'm not really always a polo guy, but I, I kind of like the feel, and it looks crisp.
2: Uh, yeah, really la- like it. ladies, I'm telling you, check out the YouTube version of this podcast. I <laughs> hope you're not just listening, because you're going to want to check out what's Tracy. happening over here in the corner.
0: I'm going to get Tracy, Jim, is the
2: <laughs> Oh, he's not He's not available, ladies. He's taken. But, you know, feast the eyes is all I'm saying.
0: 30 years, baby. I'm taking. It. But it was, it's fun. Yeah, the merch part of it's fun. John,
2: that, that is Jim that
3: derailed that one. Sorry, John, were you in yeah. the middle of something? <laughs> That's all right. Well, June 1st, Man 50 Rob Washam.
2: Yeah. Got his first nightly
3: victory for the year. Take
2: it home, Rob.
3: Represent. Fourth lifetime. Hmm. Uh, then Rick the Good Dog, Rick the rock, rock O-Man, got his first nightly for the year. Sweet. Wolfman109, Adam Wolf, got his second nightly for the year. Papa Barks. Go Dave him. Barker got his first nightly for the year.
2: Yes, sir.
0: We need to gonna... here, John. I, I apologize. So I'm a little bit disappointed in what happened that night. However, so Dave Barker gets a hold of me around eight ten, the tournament. <laughs> How do I get in here? My accountant has been suspended. <sighs> he didn't, you know, it wasn't tracking what we were doing. So I'm scrambling from eight ten to about eight <laughs> thirty. Okay. I'm like, are you, are you reading this? Are you, well, I haven't done that yet. Well, can okay, now you got to do this. You got to set this up. You got to put your username in. I'm walking him through this whole thing. And he gets there 8.30. <laughs> he ends up beating me heads up that night. Oh! Like, hey, did I let this guy in?
1: <laughs> so
0: anyway, sorry, I had to interject there. But Dave, congratulations. He came out this weekend too. Uh, so well done. That's awesome.
2: Like- <laughs> That's awesome. That's great.
3: Then uh, for our mixed <laughs> practice event, I I never know how to pronounce this but Izuma Spike, Spike won the uh mixed game nice badoogie event
2: oh yeah
3: then international events don't chase 666 joseph armstrong Tell and then once again we have in isma <laughs> Spike got his second
2: international <laughs> win. back to back spike there you go we got to give him the old back to back he's got to know that you know there you go you got it brother well can done. you yeah. change
1: your poker stars I, well first of all I got to win one of these but then I got I I uh, I uh want to change my name so that's hard for John to but yeah that's right <laughs> like, I I,
3: what am I might just saying is somebody won <laughs> Okay, then on June 6th, we had Convinkly, Eric Jin, Nice. On the daily LPP event.
2: Fantastic.
3: And that's his second win there as well.
2: He, he, he's a Raiders fan, like our buddy Rich, so he might like that uh, that polo a little better, Steve, making it look sharp there for those Raiders fans across the way.
3: And don't forget, on June 19th, we have our Heads Up series. Registration is open It's going to be on Saturday at 1 p.m. I don't know how long the event's going to take. It's a first time running heads up. It's a shootout format. So that means once your tournament uh, ends, you need to wait for all of the other tournaments before the next round begins. So just be aware of that. Be prepared. And there is no late registration for this event. So if you want to play, register early. You can go register right now.
0: Hey, John, so can you confirm, so it's just in the same PokerStars club as our normal nightly? Yes. We just look for that date, the
3: 19th? Yep. Yep.
0: Okay. And And in our normal
3: club, it'll be in the 19th. You might need to sort the tournaments because they, the default sorting is when they randomly get created. So sort by date and then you'll be able to find it.
0: Okay. And then just, then, then you're in. Uh, And if you register Register. and don't show up, you're going to get blinded off. So it's basically a buy for... For the first per- first person, I assume, right? Yep. All right, sweet dude. And and anybody registered yet? Do we have any early? There's I
2: know I have registered. Okay,
0: John's John's into that thing. I'm gonna need to register right now while you guys are talking.
2: Yeah, there you go. Get those get those uh, get those registries. And uh, John, the winner of this actually gets to play against the crew in Marek Madness next year, right? This is Correct. one of one of the qualifying tournaments for Marek Correct. Madness. We will be so.
3: having this event three times in June, September, and December, or June.
2: Yeah, September, yeah, December, yeah. that's right. Okay,
3: that's right. Uh, and the winner of each one of those tournaments will be one entry. And if someone wins all three, then they probably have a good chance of winning Marek <laughs> Good <laughs> point.
2: Good point. There, there's um, five
0: of us already registered now on June 19th. So let's let's nice. get out there. Let's. You guys have been asking for heads up play. Let's let's do this thing. Uh, okay. And this June 7th is when we're recording, so we have a little bit of time. But this gets released on on whatever the 15th. Uh, the 15th. yeah. Well, so should be a this few is days. our final. Is our final episode before yeah. it actually happens. That's so
2: it. Yeah, talk. get out there this Saturday.
0: This Saturday. All right. Great stuff, John. Of course, as always amazing. Anything else you want to talk about in the home game stuff? Nope. That's it. All right. How about you, Mr. Jones? What do we want to chat about?
1: Uh, I'll just be really quick. I think uh, we're, we're uh, moving on to our second month of our new uh, seminar structure uh, coming up soon. So look for that. Uh, we had a great time doing it the first time. And I think there's lots of ways we can keep using this tool. So uh, we're really excited about it. I, know, gotcha. I don't know this, but like, when, when does that get released?
0: Um, the, the video recording for that for members. And then I know people are able to participate in that. What is the avenue for people that are saying, this sounds cool, but I missed how I can participate.
1: So it'll get released in early July. We'll be recording it in late June. And people, all you gotta do is get on the forums. You gotta be a, a member, a rec poker member. You gotta get in the forums. There's a post that Jim put up there. And all you got to do is sign up and say, I'd like to be part of this. And then we work with you to try to make sure that you can show up that night.
2: Yeah, this one's on June 28th. Um, so this, there's a thread in the rec or forums um, under the group, a monthly seminar. And you can just, there's room for one more person at the time of this recording in this session and a couple alternates. And if, we don't, if, if you're second or third extra on the list, we'll just use you in July. And then the seminar comes out on the first Tuesday of every month in multiple parts, very easy to break down and enjoy. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that.
0: <laughs> so much fun. I still yeah. smile, not just the moment with the fives, but just the whole thing was so much fun. So thanks to you, Chris, for coordinating all that, Jim, for all the logistics of all that stuff too, man. It's great stuff, all right?
2: Anything well, else? actually, right. I guess the only other thing on that note would be on the on, on Saturday uh, of the Heads Up tournament, if you're free an hour earlier, um, come join me in my study group, which I do every Saturday. On the 19th, it'll be based around the subject matter of the seminar this month, which was satellite play. We might look at a hand from the seminar, and then we'll wrap up in time to uh, jump into that shootout and heads up match. Sweet.
0: Good stuff, you guys, and just tons going on. Go to poker. I had somebody asked me about some things. I said, really, just get on the newsletter. Go to poker. get on the newsletter. If email is kind of how you like to receive things, Uh, We do try to communicate that way, but just get out there, poke around a lot of cool stuff. We're continuing to make improvements uh, in the site and the content and the streamlining of everything. So uh, go out there and check it out. And if people say once in a while, say, how can we support what you're doing? There's different ways you can support us for sure. Uh, If it's financial, if you're willing to do financial, become a premium member. You're not going to be disappointed in all the stuff that you get. But even if you're just doing it as a way of giving us 15 bucks a month to help us do all the stuff that we're doing, because... You know, we're just volunteering to do all this stuff. Like, like that's a great way to do it. Uh, if, if it's more like social media related stuff, like, yeah, like, just be one of those people that whenever we post something, like, retweet, share, do that comment. That kind of stuff is huge. Uh, write a review for us out on SoundCloud or wherever you listen to your podcast. All of that stuff is huge for us and huge for the algorithms. If you think the world needs to hear more from us, maybe you don't. Uh, but you <laughs> do it, uh, Those are ways that you can do it. Honestly, they don't cost you anything. They cost you a little bit of time. Uh, and it means the world does. Uh, that encouragement, but also just the, the algorithm help that that gives us uh, out on social media is huge. So do those things uh, if you want to support what it is, uh, whatever it is that we got going on here. So uh, Jim, I think I'll, I'll cue you there for the music. That'd be awesome. But uh, thanks, John Barrows, Running Aces, uh, the great folks there. Chris Jones, John Somsky, Jim Reed, great stuff. Uh, thanks to Running Aces, Rainbow Race back. and Rotel for being the great